Jeff Giles, I'm here today to talk to you about a subject called the Eagles. I don't believe I know your full and complete stance on the, <laughs> on the Eagles. Are you a fan? Uh, that's a complicated question. Am I a fan? I don't think I would identify as an Eagles fan. Do I hate the Eagles? No. Uh, have I come to regard their music as so polished that it is often somewhat dull? Yes. I came to the music of the Eagles, I think, the same way you probably did, which was, you know, in the 80s, like I'm listening to Solo Henley, I'm listening to Solo Glenn Fry, you know, of course, you know, Joe Walsh. I don't know, I don't think I knew the Joe Walsh connection to the Eagles straight away. Right. Uh, Timothy B. Schmidt, Boys Night Out, absolutely <laughs> one of my favorite songs of all time. Do you think Timothy B. Schmidt has ever been invited to a Boys Night Out? I don't think so. But if I, don't I think so either. I'm lobbying for an interview, so I'm going to ask him. <laughs> My parents had 71 to 75 or whatever it is uh, yeah. in their record collection. So that's how I uh, became exposed to the music of the Eagles. Uh, other than that, yeah, like you said, Henley, uh, I, you know, I think for you and me, the first, I think the first solo ex Eagles hit in our lifetime was probably Sexy Girl. By yeah. Glenn Fry off yep. of the uh what I would say the the descriptively titled No Fun Allowed album. Yep, that's A L O U D, by the way, kids. It's so fucking clever. <laughs> um and then Building the Perfect Beast would have been the year after that, I think. Or mm-hmm. same year, I don't remember. But um yeah. Uh that that was it. It was it was the fact that my parents had the greatest hits in their record collection, and like you said, we were sort of uh marinating in in, in uh, solo hits by former members of the band for a while. I was enthralled by the Eagle stuff as I started to find my way in. And, you know, it's like, yeah, same thing. I think I got like a copy on vinyl of like, you know, the 71 to 75 thing in like a thrift store. And, <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, once I found out there was like a greatest hits volume two, I got that as well. And it's kind of funny because um, once I did find my way into the actual Eagles albums, um, I kind of, you know, I realized that like I really had been listening to while they were big hit records, I've kind of been listening to the most boring parts of the <laughs> Eagles catalog because it's just like, you know, their version of like say old 55 or, you know, a tune mm-hmm. like, you know, Saturday night, like there's all sorts of like uh, album cuts on those Eagles albums that I think that if those were heard more, maybe they would get less flack. Uh Compared to how much flack they – just the amount of abuse that they get. Maybe not. Maybe they'd still get the same amount of abuse. But. Yeah, I kind of think they get the same amount of abuse. When you have personalities like Henley uh, in the band, uh, you know, just like – I don't know. they Those guys never really seem like a band that, that had a whole lot of fun doing what they did. <laughs> it makes it a little harder to, to swallow some of the excess that goes along. And also, as a live act – when your when your whole mission is to give people exactly what they hear on the record and mm-hmm. nothing more, nothing less, I have a problem with that. That's not very exciting. So as far as the f- having fun, uh, the great quote that sticks with me is I talked to Eagles producer Bill Semsick around the yes. time you and I were doing that uh, piece on the James Gang. And uh, I don't know, somehow we got into talking about Joe Walsh stuff and I just said to him, I said, it always seems like you and Joe Walsh had fun making records. And he and there was not a single pause. He he like he he laughed and straight away he said, except when we were making Eagles records. 
Now, what was the first album you bought that had Joe Walsh on it? Uh, first album I bought that had Joe Walsh on it, I got to be honest, um, I was working in the record store right around the time that Ordinary Average Guy came out. So I came to, you know, so I really kind of came in with, you know, on the on wow. the solo Joe Walsh side of things. And then, of course, when I find out that he was, you know, there for like the last part of the Eagles run, I was like, oh, that's cool, you know. And to this day, like what's bringing this all to, all to mind is that I saw them about a week ago. And it's like it's interesting that like uh, they play all the Eagles songs. And through the years, as you know, it's like they would also mix in a couple of, you know, Glenn Fry's songs, a couple of Don Henley solo songs. Um, so obviously Glenn has passed on. So, um, that stuff is out of the set. The Henley material is out of the set, but there are still, I'm going to say three or four, let's say probably four, four, um, solo Walsh songs and a a James gang cut. So perfect. And that kind of seems like the way it's always been since he came into the band, you know, kind of late in the seventies is there was some sort of agreement at that point where they're like, you had a big solo career. We realized that we'll allow you to kind of continue to represent that even as you're playing show, you know, shows with us because, you know, the Eagles yeah. live record that came out had, you know, some Walsh stuff on it. So I would have been interested to, you know, see what those conversations look like back in the day, you know, when Irving Azoff was, you know, <laughs> negotiating that deal. Cause I think he had Joe and I think he had the Eagles, you know, so it was a pretty easy thing to put together, you know, cause he could basically just, you know, between the two of them go, look guys, you guys want Joe. Here's what Joe wants to do it. You know, I like imagining that Joe would just play whatever he wanted and it didn't matter how much Henley screamed at him. He would just keep on going. And so they just gave up and decided, fine, fuck it. We'll play funk number 49. Uh, (laughs) Eagle said, I thought you were going to tell me that the first uh, Joe Walsh record or the first album that featured him on it that you purchased would have been the, that first uh, Richard Marks album. That's a good point. You know what? Now that I think about it, you're right. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I'm the dope that did not realize until many years later because somehow I didn't look at the liner notes, even though I was total liner notes nerd. I didn't realize that that was him, you know, doing the guitar on Don't Mean Nothing, you know, and it's it's right there. I would have read those credits many times and his, I don't know that his name would have meant anything to me at that time. So, yeah. But at the same time, I I, I knew who Joe Walsh was. So it's Mm. just like, I just wasn't that far along as a music fan to hear that guitar tone. Now sure. it's like I can hear that guitar tone and straight away. It's like, obviously that's Joe Walsh playing the guitar on don't mean nothing. But um, at the time I wasn't as perceptive to already be identifying those guys that were just so recognizable, whether it was Joe or David Gilmore or, you know, whoever, you know, was it, maybe you haven't heard this legend or actually you probably know it better than I do. There, there was a solo he did on somebody's record. And legend has it that he fell asleep while he was playing it. He was <laughs> he was near his low point in terms of uh, addiction, you know, and uh, yeah. he just nodded off while he was playing it. I don't know if it was Don't Mean Nothing or if it was the one he did for Wilson Phillips. But um, at some point I read that he did that. That is how good Joe Walsh is. That is indeed how good he, he how good he is. And I've talked to Richard about playing with Joe, so now I need to talk to Wilson Phillips <laughs> about playing with Joe. And between the two, I guess we'll have the story because you know I think Richard had you know, and of course Richard's not going to. Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll have to look because I, now that now that we're talking about this, I feel like Richard did kind of uh, allude to the fact that Joe was not in the best shape, but at the same point, he said, "Man." 
But even Joe Walsh, not in great shape, just came in and knocked it out of the park. I'm pretty sure he, he told me, and perhaps it's in his book. I know you've been listening to his book. I'm pretty sure he said that what Joe did on that record is one take. So That's right. I have been listening to that book a little bit here and there for a long period of time. It's been a while since I listened to that part, but I'd forgotten that he kind of pulled off a, a de facto Eagles reunion yeah. Oh, yeah. on that album. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, with Randy Meisner and and Timothy B. Schmidt as well, right? Yep, yep, yep. I think the story was that Randy and Timothy had never been in the same room together prior to come. Like, and Richard didn't know that. Richard didn't know that they actually didn't know each other. So, you know, that was even that made it even kind of more of a holy shit moment after that. Yeah, yeah. I guess that would have planted the seeds for the uh, eventual Poco record that came out a couple years later that Richard yeah. was also involved with. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. All I will tell you folks is that um, I went and and Jeff, as you know, I, I talked to the guy that since the early '70s has been the uh, orchestrator and you know arranger mm-hmm. for the Eagles, Jim Ed Norman, who I great could not, name. Yeah, yeah, I could not wait to talk to this guy because once I started digging back further into his history, I found that um, he was a bandmate with Don when in Don's pre-Eagles band Shiloh. Yeah. which their one and only record produced by Kenny Rogers. And so I went and saw the show and that was one of the cool moments was that near the end of the night, first of all, when you go to see this show, this current tour, they're playing all of hotel California and then they do a second set with basically everything else. And it's interesting because, um, they don't talk for the entirety of the hotel California set. They just play through the record, which is kind of cool, but at the same point, like having seen some of the other Eagles shows previously where it's like Glenn and Don did talk about like, you know, a particular tune, like, like the history of the Eagles t- uh, tour. Um, one cool moment of that show was that Glenn and Don came out somewhere. I don't know if it was at the beginning of the second set, but somewhere during the course of the night, just the two of them came out with acoustic guitars and sat down and played Saturday night. And that like for what you're talking about, like about how they have to be perfect and this and that, like that was one moment like where that was just really cool. It's like, it's just the two of them just sitting there with a couple of acoustics, exactly what you would want to see if you were getting, if you were going to get a chance to get something from the Eagles that wasn't perfect. You would think, right? I mean, I've walked out of concerts because they sound too much like the album. Yeah. So the first time I saw the Eagles, um, which was late, like by the time I went to see them, um, call me crazy, 1994, when they, you know, went out and did the big reunion tour, um, just out of high school for myself at that point, paying $115 (laughs) for a ticket was not in the cards at that time. (laughs) And, and so I, I feel kind of okay that I didn't go to to see that show because even when I finally saw them in like, you know, 2007 ish or so they were still basically doing the same show. Although Don Felder's out of the lineup at this point. But, um, so that was the long road out of Eden tour and they, um, they were so boring. I, (laughs) I did almost leave the show and Joe Walsh was up there and he just like, he didn't look like cool Joe Walsh. Like he looked like an entirely different Joe Walsh. I was so disappointed. And I did yeah. like that long road out of Eden record. Like, you know, so, so it had all the did makings. You? I did. Yeah. It had you all the makings. 
What's that Glenn Fry song? I like to watch a woman dance. Just saying the title out loud makes my skin crawl. You like? <laughs> I, I didn't say I like the entire album. But <laughs> right. There's at least, you know, it's a double record. There's at least three quarters of it that I'll endorse. All right, you know? all right. Fair enough. But um, I never thought I would go see the Eagles again after that because, like, again, like, like 2007, 2008, a few years yeah. later, I saw Joe Walsh solo, and it was an entirely different thing. It was like Joe walked out looking very much like the Joe I'd seen on stage that night with the Eagles. But then he started playing, and it was like he just melted back into being Joe Walsh circa the 70s. I was like, mm. oh, my God, this is fucking great. So, um, as I said, History of the Eagles tour, that was 2013. I went last minute – um, I think there were free tickets or something like that. Whole different thing. Great show. Really enjoyed myself. So because I had that experience in 2013, um, subsequently I went again after Glenn Fry was gone because big Vince Gill fan wanted to see them with Vince. It was just as good as I thought it would be. And now we come to this latest tour. I wasn't entirely, you know, sold on the idea of seeing Hotel California, but, you know, thought I would take a run at it. You um, said that the lineup has changed a little bit again, right? It has. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, you know, I would say even if I had not talked to um, Jim Ed Norman and been, you know, curious um, after talking to him, the thing that uh, kind of drew me in further is that um, Deacon Fry is not on this current leg of the tour for some sort of undisclosed medical thing that's going on, which means you know, I hope I hope that Deacon gets well, but um, this means mm-hmm. that for me as a Vince Gill fan, Vince Gill sings a lot more songs. And so I didn't know that going in. Like I knew that he would probably pick up some vocals, um, but I, I think he's probably singing like nine or ten songs on the night. So if you're a Vince hey, Gill shit. fan. If you got Vince Gill in the band, you, you don't need mic. Get out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, who's going to sing instead of Vince Gill? Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you so, see uh, he's got a he's going to go out solo this year? Oh, is he? I, I missed that. Yeah. No. Well, I, oh, that's cool. See, I half of the time when I see a press release, I don't forward it to you because I figure you've already got it two or three times over. This yeah, is one time when I thought that. Yeah, he is going out by himself. Uh, the, I didn't read it too clear, carefully, but I, the the quote in the headline said something about how he knows he's a better player now. And I yeah, can only that's imagine cool. that he credits that to being on the road with the Eagles. He is one of the nicest guys in the business. If you got yeah. a chance to talk to him, you would go out and you know buy his entire catalog, at least yeah. on digital. Um, but it was great because like I, when I talked to him in 2014, I pulled up some sort of quote from an interview that he had done a couple years prior with Rolling Stone about you know how he said he needed to slow down, you know, get off the tour bus a little bit more, and you know whatever it was. And so I kind of just read that quote back to him. I said, "So how's that going?" He laughs. He's like, "Oh, probably not so good." <laughs> <laughs> but um, we also talked, uh, you know me being here in the Cleveland area, we talked about Joe Walsh cause I knew he'd grown up a big James gang fan. And like, he just gushed about Joe and you know, James gang. And these guys were the posters on my walls and all that kind of stuff. And so when he got that Eagles gig, I'm like, there is nobody one nice guy, two big fan. Nobody deserves that gig more than Vince Gill. So. Yeah. There was an inspired was- choice. I, I don't know how much the Eagles really need to exist at this point, but sure. It was an inspired choice. I will say that uh, I, I think a lot and I share it a lot of the thing that Jason Hare wrote. What was it? Eagles Theater? Is that what it was called? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We may not even have time for you to really you know, no. uh, give everybody context. But the idea 
is uh, that Glenn Fry chasing Timothy B. Schmidt around the room. That's all you need to know. Yeah, there's this antagonistic dynamic between Fry and Schmidt. Fry is this, you know, jock bully picking on poor Timothy. In uh, I forget how many installments of this Jason wrote, but uh, they're all wonderful. I can only find the one, and the one's <laughs> all, it's the one is the only one that I ever need because it's just got Glenn's, <laughs> Glenn's signature line is "Come here, you." Yeah. Come here, you. <laughs> so now, like when I see the Eagles, every time I see that, I think of that. And so, <laughs> what made me think of that most recently was after having talked to Jim Ed Norman about his work with the orchestra. It that Eagles Theater, what again, whatever Jason called it, Eagles Theater. It made me think of that because the orchestra would just appear. <laughs> and it, it was very much in a way that I'm like, I'm like, Jason could not have written this in the Eagles theater any better because it's like, like they just had the stage lit in in such a way that they could just shine the lights a certain way, and suddenly the orchestra is there. You know, so I was there with Matthew Wilkening, and um, and every time it happened, he'd be like. Oh, there's the orchestra again. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny. I'm, I'm like, it's it, it's like uh, it's it's like a magic trick. Like you know, when Don Henley wants to, the orchestra just magically appears. But it was very cool. For, like near the end of the night, um, Don introduced Jim Ed Norman. Uh, you know, as you know, this is a guy that I've known since, you know, we started out together back in 1968. Like he, he took the whole ride and I'm like, you know what? Like, like I got like Jim, Jim had to give me the sense of what a cool thing this is for him to be back out there doing this with his old buddy. And it's like his old buddy, like fully honors him, which is, you know, very cool to see. And it's weird to say this about Eagles, but uh, you know, really my whole point here is that, you know, one, lots of Vince Gill, but two, um, the Eagles are playing about they're playing with about as much fire as the Eagles can possibly play with. So if you've ever wanted to see a good Eagles show, this is the one to go see. That's the we could have gotten to that probably 15 minutes ago just by me saying that. There you go. There are things I could say in response about the amount of fire that the Eagles could possibly have at this point, but I will not. No. <sighs> I'm glad you enjoyed the show. It was fun. It was fun. What have you been enjoying, Jeff Giles? Um, the, the approaching weekend, the fact, the fact that I can see it drawing near, that's what I have been enjoying. Um, we should talk about the fact that, uh, we don't have very much time here, but we should talk about the fact that two of our favorite artists have new stuff going on Mm -hmm. as of today. Bruce Hornsby announced a new album. It's called, uh, what's it called? Flicted. Flicted. Yeah. 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 You can, yeah. I forget when it's coming out, but it's coming out May 27th, actually. Oh, right around my birthday. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, The first single, uh, what's the name of the first single? I don't remember. Uh, Sidelines, right? I don't know. Sidelines or sidelined? I just know that I liked it more than you did. Okay. All right. It's out now. It's streaming. And so everybody who's hearing this can go listen to it and decide who who they agree with more. And if you like the last two records that he did, this is what he is saying is the third and final record of the trilogy of albums he's been making based on Spike Lee cues. Yes. Or as you put it, music for, uh, not music for humans, right? <laughs> that was exactly it, yeah. <laughs> Which is a fair assessment. There's been some 
scronky angular stuff on these last couple of records, but uh, I don't mind that new single. And the other thing is uh, Hall and Oates have, have exhumed their Marigold Sky record yeah. mothballs. And now it's, it's streaming at a service near you. So if you did not purchase it, if you're one of the millions of people who did not purchase or, or even know that it existed when it was released in 1997, now you can listen to it wherever and whenever, whenever you want. And you liked that record a lot, right? I liked big chunks of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I didn't, that's the Eagles I, definition of liked it as well. <laughs> I did not like the single. The yeah. single does nothing for me even today. But what was that? Romeo's Bleeding? No, it was uh, Promise Ain't Enough. Okay. Yeah. I agree. I don't Daryl like trying to get on, uh, you know, Quiet Storm playlists just didn't do it for me. <laughs> Romeo's Bleeding, I like. Uh, the Sky is Falling, I like that song. Um, I don't think so. There, I was going through a terrible breakup around the time this record came out. It's a so, good record to have for that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, you know, I saw the song Romeo's bleeding and I didn't even know you at that point, but, uh, I did what you would have done. And I raised a skeptical eyebrow, just, <laughs> just, just looking at the title. And the hideous artwork. And yeah, the fact that the it was whole coming thing, out right? on their own label. It just looked pretty, pretty lame. But uh, it exceeded my expectations. That's fantastic. And yeah, the other thing that's out today is that uh, Rusty Young tribute record is out today. Oh yes, Blue Elon Records. Our buddy uh, Bill Lloyd doing four tracks with uh, his new thing, Simron Six One Five. Is it Six One Five or Six Fifteen? I can't recall. Let's just call it Six One Five. He's not here to yeah. stop us. I'm yeah. looking forward to hearing more from them. Yeah, me too. And uh, one of the initial things that they put out there is their version of uh, Rough Edges, which of course Bill and Radney Foster co-wrote with Rusty originally for that Poco Legacy record. And uh, the yep. album is called A Tribute to Rusty Young, uh, and it's really good stuff. If you want uh, the most money to go, because I think this, is, I think this is benefiting some sort of charity in some form, perhaps. But regardless. Um, the money is going to go directly uh, in the most direct way to the artists. If you go to the blue Elon website where you can um, buy a CD or you can buy a digital download. Uh, if you buy the CD, you get the digital download straight away. So, and I think it's like 10 bucks for the digital download or whatever. So, um, or if just straight out streaming is your thing, it's all over the place for you to do that. There you go. Yeah. So, and we should mention, uh, you know, we had a uh, good conversation earlier this week with uh, Miles Francis and Lizzie Loveless. I really, that's one that you put on my plate, uh, the record from Miles, good man. And um, I'm really happy you did that because I I really enjoyed that conversation with the two of them. And so that's, that's out there. I, I wanted to kind of shine some extra light for people that might not have heard that yet because um, yeah. I've been listening to both of those records since then. And, and I'm really happy that uh, I came across both of those albums. This this show's journey takes us some unexpected places sometimes. Just, that was a good one. And uh, then we've got uh, Andy Timmons, our chat with Andy Timmons. That's going up. Uh, that's our next episode for next week. So um, that's that's what I got. I, An I, episode that comes with its own live soundtrack. It does. Yeah. Andy's sitting there with a guitar, which is fantastic. Yes. And he sounds phenomenal. Yeah. It's a good, good, uh, good fun listening to that one. So anything else on your side? I'm just looking at the clock, man. I'm getting ready for a beer. How about you? 
I think very much the same. I think that's what we're supposed to be doing. So I'll point one final recommendation. As you know, I've been listening to Rex King. I've been listening to her podcast, Low Culture yeah. Boil. Um, uh, the last two episodes, the first one, uh, they've both been dedicated to subjects near and dear to my heart, Twinkies and instant <laughs> ramen noodles. Now, I share this on Twitter, but the stat, that, the stat that is so sobering to me, Jeff, yet not surprising, 14 of the 20 chemicals made in the United States are used to make Twinkies. So... <laughs> If you guys want some disturbing stuff to uh, help you cross a couple of items off your list of things to eat in the future, I select. I, I, I would uh, recommend uh, Rax King, Rax and Rax and Amber. They do a great job with the Low Culture Boil podcast. So go and check Seconded. that out. Seconded, yes. Yeah. So that's about all I got, man. Otherwise, I think I should turn you loose to go have that beer, you know. And and it's probably never too late for me to wish you, you know, happy three eleven day again. Why not? God you know? damn it, Matt. How much did Dan Walsh pay you to say that to me? Not a dime, but I will say that like I'm disappointed the last, you know, two or more guests that you and I have talked to, I've not asked a single one of them about spies like us. So I got to get back on <laughs> I'll get back on the path. I'm sorry guys. I'm sorry listeners. That's right. There's always next time. All right, all right y'all. Thank you for listening and uh this has been a Jason Hare friendly single. <laughs>